Amen. Well, we have been in this series called Jesus is Better. This is a study uh, of the book of Hebrews. And man, this has been a really, really great help for me because I know that I've uh, gone in and read Hebrews just on my own. And there are a lot of things in here that simply I just don't understand. And man, I think our pastors have done a great job of teaching through Hebrews um, and really making it uh, clear what the author is saying to us through these things. And so um, today's passage comes from Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to be in verses 18 through 29. And so if you do not have a Bible, man, we've got one for you under your seat in the Blue Bible. And if you turn to page 1111, you'll be able to find that passage. And so I'm going to read this for us, and then Josh Knight's going to come and preach the Word. And, uh, and because we believe in the power of Scripture, we believe that it's God-breathed, we want to honor that. And so if you are able, would you stand as we hear the reading of God's Word? Again, this is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 29. and says this. This is the word of the Lord. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. Even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. Amen. Amen. Thanks, John. First question to our newcomers dinner tonight. Where does John King get his haircut? Um... For those of you who are new, last Sunday John had hair down to his shoulders, and now it's all gone. Um, friends, how are we doing, okay? Good, good. Hey, before we get into this passage uh, this morning, uh, one more quick uh, announcement, because I know that we love, we just love announcements. Um, not really, but hey, for those of you, you you've, been, you've been watching the news, you know what's going on um, a, as we... Uh, see the events that are playing out uh, on the other side of the world in Afghanistan, uh, there is this, there's this sense, there's this weight, there's this feeling of helplessness. Like that is, that is the emotion that I've been feeling as I watch this. And I'm like, God, I want to I help, but there's just nothing I can do. Um, we have kind of last minute been presented with an opportunity. So there's no, no slides, no, no fancy thing on our website or anything like that. Um, our friends at Hill Air Force Base, uh, the 388 Operational Support Squadron at Hill Air Force Base is going to be running supplies uh, to, the, to the two main bases um, that, that, are, that all of these refugees are being flown to. Um, and they are being flown there with absolutely nothing, 
right? Uh, these, are, these, are, these are moms with babies, and, and all they have is the diaper that's on them right now. That, that is it. They have nothing else. These are men and women that have just the clothes on their back and, and, nothing, and nothing more. Um, and so uh, they've reached out and kind of asked local soldiers, hey, what do you have to, to donate? Um, and some of our soldiers who attend here at Flourishing Grace, uh, some of our fighter pilots have said, hey, would Flourishing Grace uh, be willing to donate some things. And so out there on the table where you can sign up for the parenting conference, where you can sign up for MOPS and all of those things and learn more about that, uh, you'll also find a sheet and it has listed all the things that they've said. Here are the things we need. Uh, here are the things that the kids need. Here are the things we do not need. Please do not give us these things. Um, and we need to get these things uh, moving quick um, in order to get those uh, shipped, shipped over uh, soon. So if you can, even maybe even today, uh, take your family, take your kids shopping, explain to your kids, hey, here's what's going on on the other side of the world, and then we want to we we care and provide for these people who are in need right now, and we've been given an amazing opportunity to do that, and maybe even bring it in tomorrow. We'll have staff here from 9 to 5 tomorrow, 9 to 5 every single day this week, um, and we would love uh, to get that as soon as we possibly can. Um, and even as I was thinking about this, you know, there's a lot that we are doing right now. There's a lot of ministry initiatives and events that are being rolled out here at Flourishing Grace. John just listed a, a ton of them. Uh, we're also partnering with this 9-11 Serve Day. We're collecting uh, stuff for, for homeless students in Davis County. Uh, you've heard about that the past couple of weeks. Um, I'm like, ah, man, is this, this is one more thing. Is this, like, can flourishing grace, is this going to be a distraction from everything else? And I'm, I've been reading through the Minor Prophets. And on uh, Friday, I was reading through uh, Amos. And in Amos 5, uh, God is is speaking through his prophet Amos, and he's talking to the nation of Israel, and he's saying, I mean, all of these things that you do, your, your festivals and your religious things, I, I, I hate them, he says. Your music that you sing to me, I don't like it. It doesn't, doesn't sound like you compared to an angel. Doesn't sound that great, right? I don't, take it away. Take it away. But, but let justice roll like water and mercy like streams of rivers. Um, that is what our God delights in. Justice and mercy. And so that is the people that we will strive and seek to be. A people who can not only provide care for local homeless teens in Davis County, but can provide care for refugees on the other side of the world. And so Flourishing Grace, that's my ask to you, is that we would be a people who can, who can do both. In, a, in our unbelievable abundance of wealth, let us be people who give generously to care for those around us. Yes? All right. So let's go. Hebrews 12. We are getting ready to wrap up Hebrews. We only have two weeks left in Hebrews. We've been in it all summer long. Um, and so we have this Sunday and then next, next week, Austin Glenn is going to wrap up Hebrews for us uh, next week. And so this, this week, at the end of Hebrews 12, the author, who is the preacher, this is a sermon that was preached to these Jewish Christian Christians in kind of first century Rome, um, he, he is giving this one final thrust, this one final push to them. Everything he's been arguing in this entire, this entire sermon, it, this, is, this is the one last big, come on, like what, let's go. All of his arguments have kind of come down to this one final push, and they've all been pushing towards the one same thing this entire time. And I'm going to give you a fair warning this morning. This is, this is a doozy uh, of it. It's kind of this final warning, this final, hey, man, if you don't, if you don't, if you fail in this, it's not going to end well for you, right? And it's couched in this kind of theme of the whole book of endurance 
Right? We must be a people who can, who can run the race set before us. Last Sunday we said the Christian, the Christian understands, the follower of Jesus acknowledges that life is a race to be endured. It's a race to be endured with Jesus. And so he, he is pushing us, his audience to endure, right? They're enduring persecution. Uh, their homes are being broken into. They're losing their jobs. They're being beaten. They're going missing. They're, going to be, they're being put in prison, right? Nobody has died yet, but it's, it's coming. It's getting worse and worse and worse. He said, we've got to endure. We must endure. And so t- this morning we're going to see this one li- last final push to endure. And the truth is, we all think that we can endure, right? We all think... That we've got this in bag. We talked about it a little bit last week, but it's true. We all think that we can endure. How many of you have seen the show on TV? It's popular right now called Alone. Anybody, anybody watch Alone? Anybody, any, any fans of Alone here? Okay, a few of you. Yes, yeah. Alone is a popular show right now. And the, and the premise is this. It's this idea that um, a person gets dropped off in the middle of nowhere, and all they have to do is survive for 100 days completely alone, right? Just, just make it 100 days alone in the middle of nowhere. And, and, and people have, multiple people have said, Josh, you got to watch this show. You got to watch this show because you, you would like this show. And I, I did. I've watched a couple episodes and both times I'm like, I can do that. <laughs> both, both times. It's, which is easy to say when my fr- refrigerator full of food is like 10 feet away. Um, I'm going to get up and go get a snack while I watch this person starve. It's great. Um, we think that we, can, that we can do this. We think that looks easy. That looks simple. Um, even, even the people who go on the show, every single person who goes on that show thinks, I could do that. They're idiots like me. Like, I could, I, could, I could make that happen. And the truth, the reality is most of them don't make it. M- most of them will not endure. Most of them will not endure. They don't endure. And most of us, most of us will not endure. Endure to the end. That's a pill that you need to swallow. Most of us will not endure to the end. That's not me saying that. Jesus says that. Jesus says it in Matthew 7. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. We're going to talk more about that in a little bit. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus says most people will not find their way to the end. Most people will not endure. And we're all going to make it to the end, but we're not all going to make it to the end. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're all going to die, but we're not all going to endure to the end. We are not all going to run this race of endurance with Jesus to the end. We're not all going to make it to the end. We all think we are, but we're not. Most of us will not make it to the end. And we need to, we need to understand this reality, that, that we set out with this goal in mind, and the goal is this ultimate thing, right? For the people who sign up for this show alone, the goal is to endure 100 days and then win the prize at the end. I can do that. But the moment that their pain becomes greater than the goal they, they realize, oh, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. The, the moment that their level of hunger eclipses the goal, they're like, I'm out. I'm tapping out. The moment that their level of cold ellipses the, the goal, they're like, I'm out. I'm, I, I want to go home now. Heat sounds good. The moment their, their level of heat eclipses the goal, they're like, you know what? Air conditioning sounds nice. 
The moment their level of pain or discomfort or sickness or sorrow eclipses the goal, they say, I, I, don't, I don't want to do that anymore. The reverse is also true. The moment that our level of comfort becomes so great that the goal is then diminished, we say, this actually sounds better than the goal. The, the moment that, that whatever it is in our life becomes greater than the goal is the moment that we, that we forget about the goal, and it's the moment that we tap out. It's the moment we fail to endure. And so in this one last final push, this one last final argument that the, that the author is going to lay before us this morning, he, he's going to answer the question, what is the end goal of the race, and how do we make sure we get there? What is the end goal of the race, and how do we make sure we get there? If the Christian acknowledges, if the follower of Jesus acknowledges that life is a race to be endured, to be endured with Jesus, what's the end goal of the race? What are we running towards? What is the end goal, and how do we make sure that we get there? We're going to see three things this morning. We're going to see, number one, the goal is not of this world. It is far better than the things of this world. The goal is not of this world. It's far better than the things of this world. Number two, there's only one way. There's only one way to make it to the end. There's only one way. There's, there's, not, there's not multiple paths. There's not multiple strategies. There's not multiple ideas. There's one way to make it to the end. And then lastly, only those who make it will endure. Only those who make it will endure. And I know that sounds funny. You think, no, 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 Josh, I think you said that wrong. Only those who endure will make it. No, I didn't. Only those who make it will endure. And we'll get there. We'll talk about what that means in a minute. So let's go. Number one, the goal is not of this world. It's far greater. It's far better than anything of this world. The author begins his last final push, his last final argument, the way he has done every argument so far. He does this again and again and again and again. He takes his, his audience's mind and he throws it back to the past and then he points it to the future and he says, look how much better that is than that was. He's going he's gonna to take their, their mind, he's going to recall them to a story that they know, that they brought up since they were little Jewish boys and little Jewish girls. They've been told the story again and again and again. He's going to repaint the imagery for them. He said, look at that. Look, at, look how crazy that was. Now let me show you something that's so much better. Let me show you how much better it is in Jesus than it is in that. Here's, what he, here's how he does it. Um, verse 18. It's where we begin this morning. For you have not come, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire in darkness, in gloom, in a tempest, in the sound of a trumpet, in a voice whose words make the hearers beg that no farther message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Okay. All right. Some of you who are here for the first time are like, wait, what have I gotten myself into? Others of you are like, Josh, I brought a friend this morning, man. Like, what are we doing? It's intense right out of the gate. It's, right, it's intense. Um, here, here it is, right? The, the author, as I said, is throwing his audience's mind backwards. Instantly, they know. They know exactly what he's talking about. And the truth is, many of you might know as well, right? This is a famous 
moment in the, in the history of the people of Israel. This is the moment where Moses has led them out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, they've, they've crossed the sea, right? God is part of the sea. They walk across on dry land as the Egyptians pursue. The sea closes in, drowns the Egyptian army, right? They've, they've fled. They, they've found freedom. Moses is leading them into what's known as the Sinai wilderness, into a place called Mount Sinai. He's leading them to this place called Mount Sinai. And God says that on the third day, on the third day, I'm going to visit my people. On the third day, I'm going to come down from heaven, and I'm going to say, how's it going? I'm going to visit my people. This is, like, this is an amazing, amazing moment. When the trumpet blows, all of Israel is supposed to come out of their tents and come out of their encampments and, and to go to the mountain, and God is going to visit them there on the mountain. And sure enough, on the third day, the trumpet blows, God descends on the mountain in this pillar of fire. And smoke fills the air like the smoke of a kiln, it says. And the sky, the sky goes black, and there's this massive storm, and it's freaking scary. It's nuts, man. The people are freaking out. What is happening? Right? What should be, what should be this moment of awe and joy and delight. This is, the, this is the climax of the story. The people have been let out of slavery, and now they get to meet God. This is amazing. But the reality is what they find in, in the meeting of God is an unbearable weight. They realize in this moment, I can't approach that. In, fa- in fact, the, the mountain, Mount Sinai, now they say, okay, because God has descended upon the mountain, if anyone touches it, they're going to die. Even if a beast of the field touches it, they're going to die. This is people who now have experienced the full weight of the glory of God and realize I can't measure up to that. I can't go up to that God. I can't engage that God. I'm, I'm a person distant from God. I'm a person that I can't draw near to God. These are people of the law, and the law has been laid on them by God. And these are people who, 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 the weight of the law is too great. And every time they break the law, they're realizing in their mind, the one that I'm offending in my breaking of this law is that one. This is a horrifying moment. Even Moses is terrified in this moment. And the author of Hebrews, the, the preacher of Hebrews is saying, listen, do you want to go back to that? Is that what you want? To go back there, to that place? See, this is, this is where the entire world is, outside of Christ. This is who your God is. Is that what you want? And then he turns their gaze forward. He says, let me show you what you have in Christ. Let me show you what you have. And he says this in verse 22. But you have come. He's comparing and contrasting these two mountains. These two mountains. You have come to Mount Zion. And the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkling, the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Right, so he lists seven things. These seven things. He says, here's what you've come to. The, these are the things you've come to. The, this is the goal. This is the end of the race. This is what you're running towards. This is what you're coming to. You're coming to Mount Zion. Mount Zion, figuratively, is the, the dwelling place of God. 
The dwelling place of God. So not only have you come to Mount Zion, but you've come to the dwelling place of God, the, the final judge of all. You've come in, and you can, you can now dwell with him, and you can be with him. This is who you are in Christ. People who can actually go up the mountain. Not, not stand from a distance afraid to touch it, but we actually go up Mount Zion into the presence of God, the final judge of all. We endure. We endure so that, so that we can enter into the presence of God. Second, we see a city. Right? The city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. This new social order, this new place where the people of God will dwell in perfect harmony. Right, A city filled with what he calls the firstborn. A city filled with those who have been made righteous, who have been redeemed and made perfect. A city filled with people who are perfectly loving each other. A city where there are, there's no mourning, there's no tears, there's no war, there's no poverty, there's no sorrow, there's no, there's no hurt, there's, there's no turmoil, there's just peace. This is where we're headed. This new and perfect Jerusalem, this new and perfect city, we endure so that we can be a redeemed people living together in this perfectly redeemed place. Let us endure to that end. We see innumerable angels in festal gathering, right? The angels are just partying because now the city is filled with those who have been redeemed in Christ. The angels are worshiping and glorifying God, constantly serving us, those who have endured, constantly throwing a party for us. It's a massive angel party. Sounds great. We endure so that we can enter in to this great and epic worship of God. And we see Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. We endure so that we can meet Jesus, so that we can meet him, so we can see him, so we can touch him, so we can actually know him, like know him, know him, so that, so that all of our pain and all of our sorrow and every longing of our soul that has ever been longed for would be met in his eyes. We endure so that we can meet Jesus. And then lastly, his blood. Sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We endure so we can honor his blood, right? A few weeks ago, four weeks ago, I think it was, Josh Gardner uh, preached on Cain and Abel, right? How the faith of Abel's offering was a greater offering than his brother Cain. And in this jealousy, Cain kills his brother Abel, right? And, and when God comes to visit, right, uh, a- Abel's blood cries out from the ground. And what is it crying for? What is it crying for? What's Abel's blood crying for? Justice. Vengeance. That God would revenge his murder. Right? And what the author of Hebrews is saying is that Jesus' blood also cries from the ground, but it speaks a better word. It speaks a better word of mercy over you. Jesus' blood also cries out from the ground, but it speaks a better word of forgiveness over you. Jesus' blood is also crying out from the ground, but it speaks a better word of grace over you. We endure to honor the blood of Christ that has brought forgiveness and grace and mercy and redemption and restoration and reconciliation to us, that that has clothed us in his own righteousness. We, We endure to honor his blood that has removed our sin and washed us white as wool and pure as snow. And so we have this list of these seven things. There's probably more than seven things, but the preacher's just preaching. And he's just listing seven things. And these things are the end goal. They're the end goal. 
And when you see these things, when, you, when, you're, when, you're, when your gaze is lifted up to them, right? Some of you in the room came into the room this morning struggling, struggling hard with things in life. There's, there's pain and there's sorrow. There's, there's decisions. There's, there's weight. There's sin in your life. And when your gaze is lifted out of this world, it's placed on, on, the, on the world that is yet to come on Mount Zion, to the city, to our God, to our Savior, to the innumerable angels, to the saints in Christ. What pain can endure that? Instantly, the the end goal is lifted up above all of our pain and our sorrow, all of our circumstances, and now we have a better goal. We 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 have the ultimate end goal. And so what is it? What is the end goal? It would be inaccurate to reduce the goal of Christian endurance to simply God or even to simply Jesus. Right? He, he lists these things, this, this, it, so much in there. We can't just reduce it to one thing. Rather, the full, comprehensive glory towards which the people of God make pilgrimage is best described as the kingdom of God. The end goal of the Christian life is to endure into the kingdom of God, to make it into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the thing that Jesus talked about more than he talked about anything else. More than anything else, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom is the thing that Jesus talks about more than talking about anything else. The reason that Jesus came was to reestablish, to make right what we had made wrong, to re-secure, to rebuild the kingdom. That Satan, the prince of the power of the air, would be, would be brought to nothing by the cross of Christ. That we would be a redeemed people, a new Israel that would be drawn into a new kingdom. And Jesus rises from the grave to take his seat on the throne as king of this kingdom. This is the good news. The end goal of the race is the kingdom of Jesus. Will you make it? Most will not. Will you make it? This brings us to the second point. There's only one way. There's only one way to make it into the kingdom. There's only one way. There's only one way, right? And this makes sense, if you think about it for just a second, right? It makes sense. How do you make it into a kingdom? If you wanted to no longer be an American, but you wanted to enter into a kingdom, right? I don't know. Uh, Morocco is still a kingdom with a king, right? You want to become a Moroccan. I don't know what that means. You, you, want, to, you want to enter into a kingdom. Let's just keep it simple. You just want to enter into, I, I don't want to be in my kingdom anymore. I want to be in this new kingdom. What must you do to enter into this kingdom, be accepted as a member of the kingdom? What must you do? What must you do? It's quite simple. King Rose, how? Accept the king. You must accept the king. You must bow to the king. You must bow to his rule and reign, accept his authority, accept his complete, absolute authority and rule. That is the way you enter into a kingdom. And that is the way. That we enter into Jesus' kingdom. The author goes on in the very next verse, verse 25. He says, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. 
For if they did not escape him when they refused him who warned them from earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. We must accept him who warns from heaven, him who is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, him who is seated on the throne. We must accept the king. We cannot reject the king. We must accept the king. And what the author is actually doing in this whole kind of stretch here is he's, is he's building off of something that he said at the end of our text from last week. And we didn't have time to go into it, um, but he, at the end of our text from last week, he talks about Esau. And, and he says, make, make sure, make sure that you don't end up like Esau, who, who sacrificed, who, who rejected his birthright for the sake of a bowl of soup. Make sure that you don't re- reject your birthright for the sake of a single meal. And no matter how much he cried, no matter, no matter how much he wanted, he couldn't get it back. Make sure you don't end up like him. This whole text, everything that we're going through this morning, is piggybacking off of that last line. And in the story of Esau is, is simply this. Esau was the eldest son, which means in ancient Israel, 100% of the inheritance belongs to him. The entire thing is his and his first son and his, next, and his first grandson. Right? It's his. This is a massive thing. It is the most valuable thing in Esau's life. Esau stumbles into his brother's tent and his brother's making some stew. He's making some soup. Red soup. I don't know what that means, but that's what it is. Red soup. He stumbles into his brother's tent and his, his brother's making red soup. And he says, give me some of that soup. He's hungry. And the moment our hunger becomes greater than the end goal, his brother says, no, I'm not giving you my soup. He says, no, give me a soup. And his brother says, all right, I'll give you some soup for your birthright. Esau says, fine, you can have my birthright. I don't, I don't care. And he trades his most valuable possession for a bowl of soup. And he can never get it back. And what the author is saying is you've got to be careful that you do not reject that which is the most valuable thing that you will ever possess for the trinkets of this world. Jesus describes the kingdom of God in Matthew 7. He says, the kingdom of God is like a treasure buried in a field, hidden in a field. And upon finding it, the person who finds it, finds it, covers it back, back up and goes home and sells everything they have. Everything they have. Their house, their car, their possessions, their furniture, all of their family's keepsakes and heirlooms, all of their clothes. Everything they have, they sell everything they have. And with joy, Jesus, with joy they go and they buy the field. With joy we give everything because this thing, the kingdom of heaven, is worth more than anything else in this life. The kingdom of heaven is the ultimate prize. It is the ultimate goal. It is the ultimate treasure. The kingdom of heaven. Jesus says it's worth everything. It's worth everything. Can you stomach that? Do you believe that? Is that your view of the kingdom of God? What is your view of the kingdom of God in the scale of all of the things in this life and all of the valuable treasures? Is the kingdom of God the most valuable thing in the world to you? Is it more valuable than anything you have? Is it more valuable than your family? Is it more valuable than your marriage? Is it more valuable than your spouse? Is it more valuable than your parents? Is it more valuable than your kids? Is it more valuable than, your, than anything in the world? Is it the greatest treasure? Do you have a right view of the end goal? Is the goal of the kingdom of heaven big enough for you to endure all things? 
Is the goal of the kingdom of heaven big enough for you to endure all things? Do you, do you, is, it, is it the highest thing in your life that, that no discomfort could ever surpass the worth of the goal? No comfort could ever surpass the worth of the goal. Are you like Paul, who in Philippians 3 says this, he says, But whatever gain I had and all of my fortune and all of my success, whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, my King. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but a righteousness through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and in the power of his resurrection, and I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. By any means possible, whatever cost, that I might meet Christ, know Christ, have a righteousness of his, obtain the resurrection of the dead, and the power of Christ. These, these things that he's listing, all he wants the kingdom and he wants the king, and he values it more than he values anything else. Do you have a right view of the kingdom of God? Are you willing to trade everything for it with joy? Do you realize how sweet a deal that would be? If, if, if it cost you everything, do you realize how sweet a deal that would be? I have a friend who is sitting in a room today and I believe will be awakened to the reality that the kingdom of God is going to cost her everything. And for most of you in the room, it will not cost you everything, but for her, it's going to cost her everything. And I am praying that she realizes that that's a sweet deal. That, that is an amazing deal. That with joy, she would sell everything she has for the sake of the kingdom. She would realize that's the best deal she's ever going to get. That there is no greater deal. And so what, friends, what is your bowl of soup? What is the thing in your life that you are tempted to cling to more than the kingdom of God. What is, what is the thing on the table of your life that, that as the, the, the smell of it wafts into your nose, suddenly the kingdom is diminished and this thing becomes more precious to you? What is your temptation? What is the thing that Satan, if he comes at you, is going to put on the table and says, this is pretty good. What is that thing in your life? Do you have one? Do you know what it is? This might be one of the most important questions that you ever study and ever come to the end of and ever know because it is the thing that you need to dump down the drain. You need to rid your life of it, whatever it is, right? What does Jesus tell the rich young ruler that he must do? Sell it all and give it to the poor because his bowl of soup is his wealth. It is the thing that he treasures most. What is it that you treasure most? And I promise you, it has something to do with your identity. 
It is deeply linked down in your heart. There is something that says, man, it's my success. It's my, it's my worth. It's how people view me. It's how people see me. It's how people respect me. It's, it's my religion. It's, it's, how, it's how much people see my worth and my value religiously, that people know how much I give and tithe and serve and do. It's my, it's my sense of meaning and purpose. It's my sense of security. It's something deeply linked to your identity. And that when Satan begins to, to pull that from you or increase it in you, the kingdom, your view of the kingdom is diminished next to that thing. What is your bowl of soup? What is the thing that Satan's going to use in your life to diminish the kingdom, to diminish your view of the kingdom? Most of us will not endure. Most of us will not endure. Only those who make it will endure. That's the last point this morning. Only those who make it will endure. I said earlier, uh, that's a funny way of saying it. You think, it's like, no, 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 only those who endure will make it. But no, only those who make it will endure. We need the power of the Spirit of Jesus. We will not make it on our own. We must be a people who walk with the Spirit every day and submit our lives to His rule and reign every single day that the Spirit might lead us in endurance to the end, that we might be a people who enter into the kingdom because only the people who enter into the kingdom will endure the end. This is where the author goes in the very next verse, verse 26. He says, at that time, at that time, back there, Mount Sinai, again, he's throwing their mind back. At that time, back there in the past, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. You see what the, what the author is trying to get his audience to understand and what, he's, what you and I need to understand through this work is that everything, everything gets shaken. Everything. Everything gets shook in the end. Your bowl of soup is going to get shaken off the table, and it's going to make a colossal mess. Everything is going to get shaken. Everything is going to get shaken. Everything. Last year, in 2020, I know, I know, 2020, let's not talk about it, but just real quick, real quick, 2020. We had a massive earthquake, right? The world shuts down, and next thing you know, the entire state is literally shaking, right? Uh, and in a moment, right, the, the thing about earthquakes is crazy, is that in a moment, in an instant, everything is fine. You're in your house, and it's comfortable, and it's nice, and people are eating breakfast, and there's just all sorts of goodness happening. And then in the next moment, you realize all of that was fragile. All of that was so temporary, so insecure. And you, you immediately cling, you grab the things that are most valuable, the things that are most important, and you move to protect them. I remember on that morning, on that day, right, we're sitting there eating breakfast, and, the, and, the, and everything begins to shake, and I'm grab, running upstairs to grab my boys and grab my wife, and we run outside, which I don't think you're supposed to do, but that's what we did. Because in that moment, I'm like, just get me out. Get me out. I don't know what to do. 
And in a moment, in an instant, everything becomes fragile. And what the author is saying is there is coming a time that's going to be far worse than that. And everything will get shaken. Everything. And it will be shaken to nothing. He's referring to the end. He's referring to a prophecy from Revelation 6. It reads this way in Revelation 6 verse 12. It says, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked. And behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. Everything gets shook. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones, and their generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling the, to the mountains, to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Who can stand? This is what the author is driving us towards. He's forcing us to ask the question, on that day, will you endure? And only those who have made it will endure. Because only those who have made it into the kingdom which cannot be shaken, this unshakable kingdom, are the ones who will actually endure. Those who have have bowed, who have kneeled to Christ, will endure on that day. On that day when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is king, on that day for some, that will be a familiar posture. On that day for some, that we will know, this is, this is what I do every single day. I bow on my knees and I confess that Jesus is king. This is normal for me. And for some, it will be a completely foreign idea and completely foreign experience. But all will know on that day that Jesus is king. And only those who have bowed their knee to him in this life will endure that day. And Christians know this. It's not comfortable. It's not like, well, this is great. But for Christians, it should be. It should be a day that we look forward to, a day of joy and delight and goodness, a day of Mount Zion. And we see Jesus and we enter into this festival gathering with the angels and we, we get to be in the city together where there is no more mourning and there is no more tears. But yes, that day of shaking is coming. And C.S. Lewis is the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, this amazing kid's story. Um, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, they, they are, they are, they are um, residents of the kingdom. They're under the king, the residents of Narnia. And, and when the children, Philip and Lucy and Susan and Peter and Edmund, they come into the, the beaver's house, right? The beavers are telling them of this day and what the kingdom was like and what the kingdom one day will be like. One day when Aslan, the king, returns. And there's a prophecy, and the prophecy, they, they tell the children, they know it by heart, and they recite it to the kids. They say, wrong will be right when Aslan, Aslan is the king, the lion, comes in sight. 
and the sound of his roar, at the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. You see, C.S. Lewis, in, the, in only the way that C.S. Lewis can do, he, he, he puts these two things together. This horror and this joy. Yes, the lion's going to roar. He's going to bare his teeth. He's going to shake his mane. It is destruction. It is horror. And yet, at the same time, as that happens, right, the, the, every tear is wiped away. There is no more mourning. There is no more sorrow for those who are in the unshakable kingdom. In, in that moment, in that time, as he bares his teeth, the curse of sin and death will die in that moment. Winter meets its death. It's over. It's done. All of our Everything that we look forward to, the goal is wrapped up in that moment on that day. That is what we are marching towards. That is what our pilgrimage, that is what we're fighting to endure until we can enter into the kingdom so that we might endure that day. The end goal of the race is endurance into the kingdom of God. And how do we make sure that we get there? Right now, we accept Jesus as king of all. We surrender our lives to his rule and reign. Friends, Jesus is king. This is the good news. A new kingdom is offered to us. The kingdom of King Jesus. And the only way his kingdom, his, the, his kingdom is the only kingdom that will endure. One day the lion of Judah will roar. He will bare his teeth and winter will meet its death. But for those who have fixed their eyes on his glorious kingdom and submitted their lives to his rule and reign of the true king whose blood speaks a better word over us, we will enter in and we will endure till the end. Because the end goal of the follower of Jesus is the kingdom that cannot be shaken. That is the end goal. The kingdom of Jesus that cannot be shaken. Friends, for those of you in the room who would say, man, I, I am a follower of Jesus. I've given my life to him. But maybe, but maybe Satan's put the bowl of soup on the table. And you are right now in this moment, you are so tempted. The kingdom has been diminished so small in your mind. And the things of this world have grown so powerful and so, so sweet to you. That you are almost ready to sacrifice it all. My prayer for you this morning is that you would be reminded of the treasure that is worth enduring for. The treasure that Jesus gave his life that he might give to you. That you might enter into his kingdom. For those of you who have never given your life to Jesus, you've never bent your knee to him, you've never surrendered all that you are and all that you have, said, I will give, gladly give it all for you. I pray that right now, in goal, you would see it clearly for the first time ever. That you would know that the only way, the only way, the only way is to give your life to the one who gave his life for you. The one whose blood has washed you white as wool, pure as snow, that, so that you might enter in, that you might go up Mount Zion and be in the presence of God. The one who loves you so much that he's made a way for you to enter into a kingdom, his kingdom will not be shaken. Let me pray for you.